0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Evening. Can you hear me? Yes. No. Does this have a light that comes with it? Press the top. Press the top. Okay. I actually don't know when I'm supposed to stop anyway. What, what time? When am I supposed to stop? Like 8 30, I think. 8 30? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, i Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Tia. <laughs> Can you really hear me? Yeah. okay. All right, so. so I would like to thank Lauren and uh, Linda to start with to um, let me come practice with you. I appreciate it. We're, we're, oh, I appreciate it a lot. And... Um, Everyone has been so kind to me. I um, feel very welcome and um, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Okay. Awesome. I was um, sitting out on the um, bench on the bridge. Sitting on the bench in the bridge, and I was gazing at the hill across. I bet a number of you do that it's kind of gazing practice. Do you do that? Sit on the bench and yeah, yeah. I sit on the bench and I look across the hill and I just sort of gaze to the other side of the hill and I let my mind just because it's so quiet here. So my mind is really quiet. And and yesterday there was a thought that came to my mind as I was gazing. And the thought was, it was a um, sentence, the last sentence of a letter that Virginia Woolf sent to her, wrote by hand, to her husband. It was a goodbye letter. It was the last thing she wrote, actually, before she committed suicide. It's a beautiful letter of love and appreciation and sad because she said goodbye to him. What the last few lines say that popped into my head was to know life, to know life, and to put it down, that's what I remembered it said. I looked it up, so I'll share it with you. It actually says to look life in the face always to look life in the face and to know it for what it is at last to love it for what it is and then to put it away to know life what do you think it means to know life? To know this. Say? To know this. To know death? It's one part. What else might it mean? It's a colon. You know? We are alive. It's a gift. What does it mean to really know life deeply, thoroughly? Does it mean to get the right job, have the right partner, accumulate the right things? fail miserably, reject it, fight with it, ignore it, what does it mean? To me, it doesn't mean any of those things. It's a gift given freely. No one's person's life is more or less than another, no one. No one has more life than anyone else. No one's life is better or less good than anyone else's life. No. But it's not so simple. Is it? Don't we make it complicated? Don't we? it's like it's in the background we ignore it we we never think about life we think about what we need to do next what we don't like what we want what we resist but we, we never actually stop long enough to really taste the gift In my very humble opinion, this is what I think we're doing here. I think we're here because something in us knows we're missing something. And we can hear that call, hey, just a second, I'm here. I'm you. <laughs> can, we, can we say hello a little bit before you rush off to do something better? Underneath, if you look deeply enough, if you really sit still, and look deeply. The only thing that's down there is a wisp. I like it. I like to say like a gossamer, a gossamer veil. It's almost not even there. It's like a, it's like a, like a vague sort of perfume. It's so not there. It's the smallest, tiniest little I am. That's all. Just a little teeny I am. Oh my god. It's a miracle that we're here at all that anything is here at all. It comes out of vast nothingness, all potential arising. That's what we are. And on top of that, is effinescent the right word? On top of that effinescent, ungraspable mystery, I am. This beingness that we get to notice, enjoy, maybe a little bit, to know it. We pile ideas, concepts, conditions and conditioning, we receive family karma, social karma, national karma, and on top of that, we build our own karma, until this little teeny-weeny sense of being is is so covered over is so made into a solid object that we again try and maintain in every way we can think of me, me, me me, me, me until it's sickening me, nee, 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 nee. through this natural development, it's nobody's fault. Nobody's fault. We hurt ourselves and other people. Pain comes with life. Cannot avoid it. Suffering, optional. And that's why we're here. Suffering is optional. Optional. The story about the Buddha. He was um, talking with his disciples and explaining to them the practice, the practice of looking at our suffering. That is the practice. I'm sorry to say. We have to go into the fire. You want to look at what is causing your suffering and unpack it. You want to look at how you built separation and unpack it. Separation is painful. It's built on painful thoughts and activity and emotional reactivity. So you have to, we have to, we have to go there And become that pain and know it for what it is all of its machinations, all of its shape shifting, all of its strategies. And not just once, but many times in each particular identity until you see all of it, all of the different, each one clearly, until it dissipates, because there's nothing in there, it doesn't exist, it, it only exists if we continue to build it, maintain it which we do happily sometimes suffering is the most familiar me that we have we're comfortable there We have to not be so comfortable with it So his disciples, when he told them the idea was to (laughs) go look at your suffering, (laughs) they said to him, we can't do that. That's too hard. I'm not going to go there. Maybe tomorrow, right now, I have to go to a party. Tell me a week from tomorrow. they didn't believe him, that it would even work, that they could do it, because it's not easy. It takes everything we have, all of our courage, all of our effort, all of our devotion and tenacity, all of our relaxing, all of our humor, everything we have got it takes to do this." So they said, it's too hard. Can't do it. And the Buddha said, I'm not going to get it quite right because I couldn't find it on the internet. But he said something like, this. he said, I know it's hard. I know, I do, but if you couldn't do it, I wouldn't ask you, but I know you can do it. I do, and so I'm asking you, please, keep going. Just keep going. Rest when you have to and then get back to the job at hand. thinking about practice, there's also a lot of joy in practice, because as we continue and as things drop away, there are times of real pleasure and peace and vastness and joy. It's not all, you know, difficulty. Every time we really let go of a chunk, there's a real openness and joy. So then I found this is a favorite poem, practice poem of mine. It's by a Tang Dynasty poet by the name of Wang Wei. The Tang Dynasty is classic Zen, most of the um, great koans and great teachers uh, come. To us from the Tang Dynasty. This is the poem. In my, (laughs) I'm laughing because it says, in my middle years, and when I heard this poem, I was in my middle years. I am now past my middle years, probably quite a bit. (laughs) So. In my middle years, I've become rather fond of the way. I make my home in the foothills of Tasahara Mountain. When the Spirit moves me, I go off by myself to see things that I alone must see. I follow the stream to the source follow the mind stream to its source. And sitting there, I watch for the moment the clouds come up. Or, I may meet someone and talking and laughing, forget about going to the (laughs) zendo. This too is the path. Our work is to follow the mind stream back to the source, watching the thoughts, the emotions, the energy come up. I'm studying um, for Transmission I'm offering four people transmission this September, seventh to the seventeenth September. And so I'm reading um, some things that I need to read for that those families. So um, One of the things that we study, you may be familiar with, is the five ranks of Tozan. So I'm going to give you a kind of a um, very, very quick and probably inaccurate, but sort of accurate, (laughs) description of those ranks. And they're not, they're laid out as ranks, but um, they're actually the same, because they describe the relationship of form and emptiness, and because, uh, as we chanted just the other day, the Heart Sutra, form and emptiness are not separate. All of these ranks are within that understanding, that understanding of wholeness, of life, the nature of life, holding both the emptiness and the form. So the first I don't like to use the word rank. Uh, stage is not great either, but part. Um, we begin, we set forth on the path. Something in us has some kind of taste. Something in us Yearns to touch life in a deeper way. We know that somewhere in us, all of you, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So we follow that intuition and we end up in a practice place or we end up with a teacher on a mountain. Vows come forward, we take refuge. The personal is emphasized because we're looking inward now. Mm. I don't even understand what emptiness is intellectually. That form is empty of a solid, separate core in anything. And sometimes there's some kind of what we call kensho or some kind of an opening or some kind of a taste. And we make a, a shift from feeling like our body-mind, we are feeling identified with a body-mind, to identifying with basically awareness. But there's still a me in it. And the next part, as the mind wakes up to itself, awareness comes to the fore, and it becomes more, we come from awareness, we act from awareness rather than self most of the time. We no longer identify with the thoughts at all, no longer identify with the body-mind, and usually personal will drops away so that we're no longer pushing life, we're no longer manipulating life. we're no longer t- we're not trying to control anything. Personal will just drops away. And anger also, hurtful anger, falls away. It's the first thing that falls away. This big chunky thing of, of, of the three poisons. And then the heart opens. And there's a sense of wholeness. And like when the emptiness are met. When the emptiness meet in that way. And the heart opens. You know, usually we walk a, we walk around with the, I did anyway, for years. I had a gigantic door like an iron door in front of my heart and I remember sometimes it would open and it literally I could hear it sort of creaking open barely it took a really long time to open but all of that protection falls away and the heart really opens in this sense of wholeness that we Understand that we feel, that we feel. The pendulum rising is right there on your tongue, taste, taste. Kevin Gary, I just mentioned this because I love this guy. I, I I say this teaching all the time because just because. <laughs> um, In this place, we're always, we always see both sides now, form and emptiness. So Category used to say that when someone does something difficult that is not paying attention to the three pure vows, or three pure, pure vows. For example, if somebody abuses a child, it's a good example. You take the person immediately away from that situation, usually the adult, right? But because almost always adults are themse- who abuse are themselves abused, have been themselves abused, you do it with understanding. It's a dependently, codependently risen event. You don't have to blame someone with a whip. Dependently, co risen, yeah? But you take the child away. Boundaries. clear. So Category says, in the relative world, the world that we live in, that suffers, that's confused, that is massively greedy, and hateful, in that world, everyone is responsible for whatever they do. Nobody is forgiven. We are absolutely responsible. And at the same time, if we understand dependently arisen events, that the entire universe literally had to come together for this particular event to happen, everyone is forgiven. Everything. There was no one there to do it. The universe was the actor, is the actor, even now. And then, finally, this oneness falls away, and life is extraordinarily simple. Mm -hmm. In that place, grasping goes, and the self-yammering in the mind falls away. It's the other mountain. You know, mountains are mountains, mountains are not mountains, mountains are mountains again. It's the mountains are mountains again. It's the chopped wood carry water. Except everything is, the mystery is understood as holy. Place we know nothing is lacking. That's the most, I think, interesting point. Finally, life is enough. And we can just be ourselves. We don't have to prove anything, we don't have to be better. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. And when we're ready, hopefully, we're able to know it deeply and thoroughly, and then put it down. We can do it together. It's not easy. It's not easy. But it is possible. So I wish you all, uh, I wish you all the everything that you have, everything you possibly need, and use, and find your way, so that one you time for you to put down life, that it will have been enough, and you can make up. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma Talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving.